Sorry, I'm picky like that. Well, good morning and uh, welcome to 116 Bible Church. I don't know how I'm going to lower this with the camera. Okay. Maybe that's a little better. Okay, cool. Uh, welcome to 116 Bible Church. If you don't know me, I'm Sean. I'm the associate pastor here, but I am 90% sure. I've seen all your faces before. Um, only 90% sure, so if not, then... Come up to me afterwards. Um, also, want to say Happy Mother's Day to uh, the mothers here, uh, to the to the ladies here. Um, if you are not a mother, please know you are a mother figure to the young girls in your life, and especially to the young girls in this church. Um, they look up to you, and quite frankly, they need something um, that uh, counterbalances uh, what they get from the Kardashians. So, please uh, know that you are. Loved and respected today on this Mother's Day. Uh, and on that note, uh, we are going to be looking at a mother in Scripture today. Uh, my original plan was uh, to go back to the beginning um, of 1 Samuel and talk about Hannah. Uh, that was a long passage, and with my particular preaching style, uh, we'd be here till next Mother's Day. So... I decided to change course, and uh, we're going to be looking at, um, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 2. Uh, so we'll be looking at Moses, and the birth of Moses, and the faithfulness of his parents, particularly as it states in this passage, his mother. Um, an important reminder that um, the gospel is central on all days throughout the year. Um, we don't, there's never a day during the year where the gospel ceases to be central, where the gospel ceases to be the most important thing. The gospel is always the most important thing. So, this is going, we're going to look at this through the lens of the gospel as it is lived out through a certain mother. So, if you have found Exodus chapter 2, we'll be beginning in verse 1, and we'll be going through verse 10. And if you have found it and are able, I do ask that you would please stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. Again, that is Exodus chapter 2. We'll be beginning in verse 1. And the word of God says, And a man of the house of Levi went and took his wife, a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him, and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, 
And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have been blessed beyond measure to open your very word and to read it. Lord, we have been blessed beyond measure to be guided as your people by your spirit through your word so that we we rely not on our own understanding, Lord, but instead on the spirit who provides illumination and leads to eternal life and holiness. Father, we have been blessed beyond measure to be called your people. To have been drawn out of the darkness like this child was drawn out of the river. And to be brought into your marvelous So Lord, we ask that you would be with us this day, this morning, Lord, as we walk through your word as we seek your face. Show us Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So let's give a little bit of quick context here. Um, We kind of jumped in the middle. We're all of a sudden talking about some guy and his wife having a kid and hiding him. What's going on here? So what's happening is that The Israelites, if you've been at our Bible study on Wednesdays, we've been going through Genesis. The Israelites have recently, in in our Bible study, uh, have come to Egypt, um, where they have settled in the land of Goshen, um, and where they have been, uh, where they have essentially been protected uh, by by Pharaoh because of his love for Joseph and Joseph's love for his family, and uh, that's. That's kind of how Genesis ends, and then Exodus begins with um, they were there for a while, and a Pharaoh who really didn't care about Joseph and uh, and the Pharaoh before him's love for Joseph arose and came to power and decided to instead of protecting these people and giving them uh, sanctuary, um, chose to use them as slave labor. And treated them harshly. And um, through that, even in the midst of that, I should say, they began to multiply. Their numbers grew. Um, By the grace of God, their numbers continued to grow. Um, So the king passed an edict that, uh, telling the midwives to kill all the male children of the Israelites. And by... In an act of faith, the midwives, and as as boldly as they could, given their situation at the time, defied the order. And the Bible speaks well of them for that. And then the king, uh, who is furious, uh, then tells essentially every Egyptian to cast every male child they see born of the Israelites into the river. That is the situation, the context of our passage today. It is very grim. It is very sober. 
it is very foreboding. So do this with me, if you will. It might be best if you close your eyes. So close your eyes, and I want you to imagine yourself as a young man or a young woman. You are, you have just gotten married. You have started out. You and your spouse are looking to make a family, to start a family together. And then you get word that the government has ordered, has declared that all male children, all sons coming from the group you belong to are to be killed. This is the situation in which this Levite man and this Levite woman were currently in. You can open your eyes. This is where they were. We need, we, we need to understand the fear, the trepidation. We need to understand the heavy hearts this couple had as they came together. This man of the house of Levi and this daughter of the tribe of Levi. Just starting out, getting married, and then the wife conceives. That's a time that should be joyous, right? This should be happy. This should be this should be a moment of rejoicing and, and exaltation. But instead, this is at best a moment of mixed emotions. And then she, uh, the child was carried to term, and when he was born, it was a son. Now, as wonderful as that must have been, it also must have been extremely terrifying. Because they knew what was in store for this child. They knew his future wasn't long. They, they feared for him. So what did they do? This mother, because the Bible specifically talks about the mother, so we'll talk about her. When she saw that he was a beautiful child, don't read into that. She's, the implication is not if he was an ugly child nobody would have cared that's not what's happening here the word translated beautiful in my translation may be translated as good or fine in yours um, the, the very word here is the same one used at the beginning of Genesis where God looks at his creation at each stage and says it is good it is good it is good so this mother who just gave birth to this child looked at this baby and as a mother would say, he's a perfect, beautiful baby. Which means he's strong. Were it not for this edict, he would survive in an age where infant mortality was ridiculously high. So she hid him for three months. And the Bible tells us much later, this was not an act of cowardice. This was not an act of... Uh, 
This was not something done in the shadows to just try to get away with something sneakily. No, this was done in faith. By faith, she hid the child for three months, defying the order of Pharaoh. And this right here is the beginning of what we're really going to talk about today. Parents, mothers, your faith echoes throughout the ages. That is the God-given truth. Your faith and and your faithfulness echoes through the ages. We don't, as a parent, you don't simply have faith for yourself. You don't simply walk in faith for yourself. And then, I, because I know at times, as a husband, as an expecting father, sometimes it feels like I'm just doing these things just to, just to do these things and they don't matter. Like I'm being faithful, but, but it, it seems like sometimes it's, it's pointless. Like it's going to end with me and what does it matter? And in our darkest moments, I think we've all felt like that. In our darkest moments, we've all felt like my faithfulness is going to have no effect on anybody else. But the faithfulness of this mother in hiding her son for three months helped him to stay alive long enough for her to figure out something else to do. So then what happened? Verse 3, but when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. So we're seeing here when she couldn't hide the child from Pharaoh anymore herself because she feared God more than she feared Pharaoh and because she feared God more, even more than she loved and wanted to be with her own child she stopped to preserve his life she made a sacrifice for him she didn't sacrifice him she made a sacrifice for him There's a big difference. I know that speaking, speaking as somebody who to one degree or another experienced this growing up, um, my parents made tremendous sacrifices for me. Not just for me, for me and my two sisters. It wasn't like I was the baby. But my parents made tremendous sacrifices for me. But there were times when those sacrifices were to to such a point where they seemed like that instead of sacrifices for me, they were sacrifices of me. Where instead of making sacrifices to be there, it seemed like they were making sacrifices of my time with them that I didn't understand. 
That's what this mother's doing. She's making a sacrifice of time with her child to give him a chance at life. This is something parents do. I'm sure it didn't feel good. I'm sure it wasn't a happy moment for this woman. But it was a necessary moment to give him what he needed, which was a chance at life. Why? Because we know from later on in the, in the Bible, from God's implementation, presentation of the Ten Commandments, that thou shalt not kill isn't just about not taking life. As Pastor Jeff reminds us often, it's about preserving life. It's not just don't do this. It's do what you have to to keep life going. It's about preserving life. And that's what this mother is sacrificing to do. And this, please keep in mind, this isn't something that she's doing flippantly. This isn't something she's doing casually. She's not taking this for granted. I have no doubt in my mind that this was accompanied with serious prayer and with serious seeking of the Lord. I have no doubt. So when she couldn't hide him anymore, she made him a basket, an ark. By the way, the only other time this word is used outside of Genesis in the Old Testament. And in Genesis, it refers specifically to the ark that Noah built. So what are we seeing in this, in this kid, in this boy, this son? We're really seeing what the author is trying to convey, both the capital A author and the little A author, is conveying... Somebody who embodies the story of Israel up until this point, at this point, and as we'll see later, even beyond. Somebody who embodies the story of Israel, and this child himself is acting as a sign, as a symbol pointing to the one who himself is Israel. This child, his life, even his very beginnings, the language used is designed to make us think of the past, when God first began communicating with people, choosing a people, the present, the situation in which they're in now, the near future in which God will deliver these people from the land of Egypt and the distant future where God will deliver all his people from sin and from death. This is what's happening here. So she lays, she puts him in the boat, in, or in the basket, in the ark, makes it waterproof. That's what the asphalt and the pitch or, or whatever your translation says is for. And puts the child in it, lays him in the reeds by the river bank. I don't know if you've seen the Nile there's a lot of dangerous things there. It's uh, got lots of predators, but the child wasn't left alone. 
the mother was trusting in God and in verse 4 his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him just to see just to make sure the child that all this wasn't done in vain that the child got to have his chance of life this is the love and the faith of this mother this is the love and the faith of dare I say every mother who calls herself a Christian at the very least and this is even I think I, don't, I assume you wouldn't disagree with me points us forward even to the love of a mother who one day would not place her baby in an ark but would bear the one who himself is the ark who found herself in a very similar situation where in order to in order to hopefully try to bypass a prophecy that had long ago been written, a king ordered the killing of every male-born son. Verse 5, Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. Now, if you're reading through this for the first time, at this point, your alarm bells might be starting to go off. Because who issued the edict that all male children born of the Israelites should be killed? Pharaoh. And what is this that has just been laid in a basket in the river among the reeds? A male-born child of the Israelites. And who comes down to the river to bathe? At that moment, the daughter of Pharaoh. As you read through this for the first time, you start thinking, how could things have possibly gotten worse? Oh, things just got a whole lot worse. Because this child is about to be found by somebody who belongs to the household of the guy who wants to kill every single son in Israel. <coughs> So the daughter of Pharaoh comes down to the river, and her maidens walk along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to go get it. This is a perfectly natural response. I'm going down to the river. I'm fishing or bathing or whatever. All of a sudden, I see a basket, or uh, some translations even say a chest. I see a chest. Floating among the reeds in the water. It's like, free stuff? Cool. <laughs> I want to know what's in it. So, the daughter of Pharaoh sends her maid to go get it. And when she opened it, the she hear me, the daughter of Pharaoh, she saw the child. And behold, the baby wept. Something both very natural and very supernatural 
just happened. A woman's natural curiosity, a woman of power and influence, and in a moment of natural curiosity, opens a basket or chest or ark or box or whatever you want to call it, and where she is expecting possibly to see somebody's leftover picnic, or maybe even somebody's personal belongings, she sees a baby. And in this moment, the baby, in response to this discovery, begins to cry. And in this moment, both something God-ordained naturally and supernaturally happens in the heart of this woman. She has compassion on him. God has blessed women in particular with something inside them that just, their hearts just break for a child who's crying. That's correct. And that is beautiful. That is so precious. So in this moment, she opens the basket. And to her surprise, is a baby. And as the baby begins to cry, her heart melts. This is something wonderful. Ladies, this is something God has given you that is yours alone. Hold on to it. Don't let the world rob you of that. Because they will. They want to. They want to tell you, regardless of the verbiage they use, they want to tell you that to be a true woman, you have to be more like a man. Don't let the world tell you that. Don't let the world rob you of what God has given you. That's right. Amen. So she has compassion on this child she just found in the river, among the thorns, in the very river where Pharaoh commanded all male children of Israel to be cast into. And she says, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Seems kind of strange that she just know that right off the bat. He was probably already circumcised, that's why. Um, the Egyptians did practice a form of circumcision, but it usually happened much later in life. Um, so seeing the child already circumcised was a clear indication this was a Hebrew child. So knowing this is one of the Hebrews' children, she still has compassion on her. Then his sister, we cannot forget his sister, she's still there. She comes out and she says to Pharaoh's daughter, which takes a lot of guts, by the way. This, this girl is a member of the what is now in Egypt the slave class. 
and courageously approaches the doctor after seeing her, I imagine, after seeing her reaction to her brother. She says, I think we can, I think we can make this work. So she comes out and she says to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? <clears throat> this was a this was a question that seems kind of weird to us, but at this time, in this place, no self-respecting Egyptian woman would dare nurse the child of a foreigner. Just it, it did not happen. That is not how life worked. So it wasn't even a thought in her head. Plus, depending on whose side you take and the who was this pharaoh and this daughter at this time, <clears throat> There's a good argument to be made that this was a daughter of Pharaoh named, I'm going to butcher this, I just know I am, Hatshepsut, something to that effect. Um, and it was well known that she could not have children. So she was unable to nurse this child. So given cultural mandates, given this woman's possible biological makeup, it was impossible for her to even entertain the thought of nursing this child. So the sister says, you want me to go grab a Hebrew a Hebrew woman to nurse him for you? And this was common, having a having a wet nurse. This this was uh, this was an actual employment at the time. And tenure for that position usually lasts about three years. Um, children were breastfed for longer then because you know, it was cheaper than switching them to people food, which was going to cost more money for the average person. So the, the uh, Miriam, who we think is Moses' sister at this time, um, asked if that's what the Pharaoh's daughter wants. Then the Pharaoh's daughter says to her, or then Pharaoh's daughter says, go. So she goes, and who does she go to? Of course, the child's mother. I want you to stop and think. You don't have to close your eyes this time. I don't have to make you do that. But I want you to stop and think. This woman, who by faith defied the government for three months to protect her child, and then to her best ability continue to protect him, let him go, She was probably sure she was never going to see him again. But instead, God rewarded that faith and brought her son back to her. And she, she got to care for him for years. She got to continue to raise him as her own. To have him in her house for years after she was legally supposed to, and even after she thought she was going to. Parents, mothers, your faith echoes through the ages. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me. 
and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him and got paid to do it. Moms, you can't beat that, right? She got paid to nurse her own child. So God provided for her, not just bringing her son back, essentially, as far as she was concerned, from the dead, but even provided for her income for her household. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, so she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. Now this is more of what we're talking about. The faith of this mother, the faith of these parents echoed through the ages to the point to where God used it like he did in Genesis with the horrible, deplorable actions of Joseph's brothers to save Joseph's life, bring him to a position of prominence and save his entire family. We're seeing almost an identical scenario play out here. There are some key differences, of course. But this Hebrew boy, who by all accounts should be dead, is not just alive, but gets to spend the first part of his life with his family, and then gets ushered in by invitation into the court of Pharaoh where he, in all likeliness, receives training for leadership. Where he becomes familiar not just with the Egyptian model of government and how things are done and how to lead and administrate and govern and rule and even lead into battle. but also becomes intimately familiar with the plight of his own people. As we'll see, we would see later on that something in Moses stirs up when he sees the injustice of his people. And and Pharaoh's daughter names him Moses. And the reason given is because I drew him out of the water. Now, this name Moses works in two languages. It works in the Hebrew language. Obviously, that's the one we have here. That's given to us. It means to draw out. It means to draw. It doesn't mean the one drawn out. It means to draw out. Which points us forward to what God is going to do when he draws his people out of Egypt through the water and to offer to the other side. But it also works in a way in the Egyptian language where M-O-S-E, well, in English, M-O-S-E, was often tacked onto names to essentially say the son of or born of. So there are... uh, two pharaohs that we know for sure, Amos and Thutmose, who had this M-O-S-E, 
tacked on to the end of their name to designate who they were the son of, or who they were said to be the son of. But it also works by just the hieroglyphic that indicates MS. Just means boy. So Moses' very name, working in two separate languages, is pointing us to the truth of the gospel. This boy child was drawn out of the Nile, out of the water, and led his people into freedom. So Moses, not just by not just by his own actions, not just by his own God-ordained life, but even from the very beginning, his own birth, his own upbringing, and the experiences that he is a completely passive participant in, is pointing us not just to the people of Israel, but to the true Israel himself. Parents, when I say your faith echoes through the ages, it sounds nice, right? We're talking about simply from a mother to her son. And as wonderful as that is, you know, sometimes we don't see the bigger, the whole picture there. So you can turn here or you can just listen to me, read it, whichever you prefer. But in Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 33. We, we see the reverberation of that faith through the history of the people of Israel. Beginning in verse 23, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the heart of Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell, to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson, and Jephthah, also of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. Your faith echoes through the ages. When God calls us to faithfulness, it is not simply for our own lives and our own personal enrichment. It is because that faith, that faithfulness, brothers and sisters has ripple effects that will be felt for generations. And we have no better example of that than Christ 
himself. So parents, when it feels like it is all in vain, mothers, when it feels like everything you're doing is going unnoticed and unappreciated, please know that your faith has echoes, that your children and their children and their children we're still here. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful, blessed time you have given us. We thank you for the wonderful mothers in our midst today. God, you have blessed us with, as a congregation, that you have blessed us each family with. Lord, we pray that as we leave this place, that your spirit would bring with us the truth of the big picture that our faith, our faithfulness, the gifts that they are, don't simply apply to us, but are felt and are heard and are experienced for many years to come. So Lord, we pray you would help us to walk by faith. We pray that you would help us to be faithful in every situation and in all circumstances. Lord, that your spirit would lead us in truth and in holiness. Lord, that we may reflect Christ more perfectly Yes, in the world, but chiefly in our homes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.